Yeah, well, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I'm very excited for today. Um, I don't know if anybody's going to get this reference, but I'm excited to be able to talk to my good friends here, who's kind of like my Brock Lesnar to my Vince McMahon. So if you don't, if you're not a WWE <laughs> fan, <laughs> okay, maybe Scott. Maybe, all right, well, I kind of gave it away there, but he's not always here on every episode. But whenever I need him, he can come in, and he's like a part-time attraction. Uh, so Scott, Scott Mendelson of Forbes, how are you doing today? I'm good. I was briefly interested in in w, back when it was WWF before they got sued by the World Wildlife <laughs> Foundation, which I think is hysterical. Yeah. You know, you know the the all Hogan Ultimate Warrior Junkyard Dog Macho Man Randy Savage days. Yes. You know, I was back in my day, you could count WrestleManias on one hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, no, I'm good. I'm good. Um, let's see. Uh, I am doing this podcast and then I'm taking my son to see Pause of Fury, which neither of, us, neither of us want to see, but I am, you know, for professional reasons. And since I'll pick him up early from camp, he's agreed to come along. Oh, so. Understood. Well, we're going to be talking about a movie. I don't know if you took your son to see. Uh, I did. Because oh, I, I wanted his opinion. He's okay. 11 years old and he's, he's seen worse in terms of content. And he liked Red Notice more than I did. So I thought, eh, it can't hurt. Okay. Right. And well, he's, that... he's seen the Marvel movies. So it's not like, you know, a Joe Russo film filled with explosions and machine guns is going to put him off. Right. Um, um, he liked it more than I did, but he wasn't, you know, salivating at the mouth over it or anything. Yeah. Well, in case you couldn't tell what we're talking about, we're talking about The Gray Man, which is <laughs> the Russo Brothers' newest, as you called it, a mockbuster, Netflix's newest mockbuster. <laughs> I love that phrase. I saw somebody question that on Twitter. Uh, I love well, that. Well, I mean, it's not technically mine. Oh. It's sort of an offhand name for, there's a, a group, a company called The Asylum, and they, they, I don't know how often they still do this, but back in the, you know, early 2000s basically the joke would be they would release a straight to video or straight to dvd knockoff of something that was new in theaters you know when transmor transformers the revenge of the fallen they'd release transmorphers fall of man you know they'd you know you'd put out snakes on a plane they'd put out snakes on a train um they actually got sued over the hobbit one i don't know the details but eventually studios did go wait a minute um yeah, but they, they have a whole library of what, I don't know if they call them mockbusters or just a critical term, but, you know, they are definitely called, you know, mockbusters. They're supposed to, and it was weird because, you know, in the days when, when before streaming and especially before like DVD was prominent, it's like, who would walk into a video store on the same opening weekend and pick out Transmorphers and think they were getting the new Michael Bay action spectacular, <laughs> which is in theaters right now, right. but it's also on video. Um, although having said that, I do remember when I was 11, I walked into a video store, uh, to rent the adventures of Robin Hood, which I had never seen. And I had just seen Prince of Thieves and I was curious and the video store clerk, and I don't say this is a criticism. She was probably just looking out for me, but she asked me to make sure that I knew it wasn't the Kevin Costner version. <laughs> um, I chuckled, but you know, I, I, you know, it's, I get it. Um, but so the, the reason I tend to call the bad ones anyway, when I, when I talk of Netflix as mockbusters, which is that they, their Netflix's attempt to make something approximating a conventional Hollywood theatrical blockbuster. And a lot of them, but not all of them, a lot of them feel like they're like, it's almost hard to describe this, but they feel like play acting cosplay approximations of the genuine article. 
And that's not to say every Netflix original is terrible. They're not. That's not to say every Hollywood theatrical is great. It's not, they're not. Um, but I do think some of the would-be biggies, like uh, ironically, Extraction, which was, was also produced by the, the Russos. I believe Joe Russo wrote the film. Uh, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, um, Army of Thieves, a spinoff film. Um, Ryan Reynolds, uh, the, Adam God, the Adam Project, which, you know, whether I love those films or like those films, they feel like something that, that you know, would play in theaters and would be fine in theaters. Um, while a lot of the, the, the would-be biggies, Bright, um, Red Notice, and I would argue The Gray Man, feel like these weird approximations that they have all the ingredients and they have all the instruments, but the music just always feels off. Um, and honestly, I, I don't know why. I'd like to say it's, you know, it's my own personal bias of streaming versus theaters, but A, I've seen some of these in theaters, and B, some of them I think are, you know, I put the harder they fall on my 10 best list, partially because it was maybe their best pure popcorn studio program or picture. I mean, obviously, when we talk about the best Netflix movies, we usually talk about stuff like, you know, The Five Bloods and The Irishman, and their, their award season stuff. And that, I mean, you know, I think their award slate is, has been second to none for the last several years. You know, that they haven't actually won the big prize is almost happenstance. Uh, I sincerely hope that they don't react to their plunging stock and all their other problems by cutting back on the good movies that they distribute. Right, or the vanity projects, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to be fair, that was the wording of a respect. I'm not going to call them out because I don't want to piss in my pool, but it was a specific article from a specific reporter that was using their own verbiage. And that unfortunately happens a lot. You know, when, when someone will pick up an article that contains quote unquote, not even offensive, but you know, you know, inflammatory language, and then it gets reported as if that was the studio or the actor or the filmmaker saying that, when really it was it was the writer using their own turn of phrase. I try not to do that. I try, I try to, first of all, I don't generally quote people in my posts anyway because, you know, usually I think the numbers speak for themselves, but. <clears throat> But no, and I, I don't think they're going to back away from award stuff, at least to a certain extent, because, you know, they're certainly not as expensive as, you know, Red Notice 12. Um, and it does give them prestige. It does give them a seat at the awards table. Um, and I don't know. I don't know how they're going to react to the chickens coming home to roost. Um, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but me and, and other people have been warning about this since the beginning of COVID because the huge subscriber upswing in 2020 and 2021 was at least partially, you know, if you go outside, you die. Well, you know, I don't mean to be glib, but you know, the idea that <clears throat> audiences, you know, that were acclimated to, acclimated to streaming all their content in 2020, 2021, wouldn't at least somewhat go back to, you know, seeing movies in theaters and going to plays and going to football games once it was relatively safe to do so. And I was aghast and it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just Netflix, but Netflix is Netflix, you know, that they are a streaming company. Problem is everyone's trying to rip off Netflix. Um, 
you know, they were making these, I would argue, they're making these huge long-term plans based on circumstantial temporary behavior from consumers that, to a certain extent, had no choice. Um, but I'm getting way off the imperial uh, reservation. Please pull me back. Pull me back. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. Well, <laughs> I guess before we get too far into the film, we should give a brief synopsis. I don't even know. I feel like it's such a simple film that it somehow overbloats itself. But uh, as it is, I think Ryan Gosling plays, uh, I don't remember the character's original name, uh, but Six is what I'm going to call him because that's yeah, what I remember. Count. Count. Gary count, or something. Count something. I mean, uh, I can look it up. Hold on. Me forgetting stuff about the film is going to be very common. Or into Gentry. Oh, okay. Which is a very paperback novel name. That's not a, that's right. not a criticism at all. Right. That's actually a pretty fun name. Yeah. Uh, well, it's based on a novel, right, by the uh, author of the Jack Reacher books, correct? No, no. I apologize. Oh. He he worked with Tom Clancy before Clancy died. Oh. And wrote or ghost wrote. I don't know every detail. Some of the later Jack Ryan books. Jack Ryan. Okay. They all get. Conf- I always get those confused. Um. Anyways, Court or Six uh, is recruited by the CIA right after he gets arrested. Um, becomes a mercenary for them. I think for like eighteen years. And then get jumps right. Uh, yes, he's been he's been doing it for eighteen years. He gets recruited in two thousand three by an overcompensating Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> And that's not a criticism. I mean, he's doing his very best to make this movie look dignified. Right. Uh, him and Alfred Woodard are just doing all they can to make you believe because they're just such damn good character actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's another conversation. Yeah. Um, well, then he has... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, and then he, the film leaps to quote-unquote present day. And... I like the opening scene. It's it's full of production value. It's very razzle-dazzle. The camera's moving all over the place. There's lots of travelogue locales. And I did enjoy watching, very minor spoilers, you know, our, our anti-hero, Ryan Gosling, sort of silently making his way through the to his target and killing off bodyguards and security dudes in a very quiet, offhand way. But once he encounters the target, the film almost immediately turns into a very generic... You know, there's something you don't know about the organization you're working for, and now they're going to kill you. Right. And that's really all you've got for the next two hours, give or take. Right. And that's where enter Chris Evans, who plays uh, Lloyd. I forget the last name, but it's also just Hansen. like a generic. Hanson. So Lloyd yeah. Hanson, who, <laughs> who's torture method, you know, he's kind of like the, he does things unethically, right? He's not the best. I mean, he's good at his job, but I think a lot of his torture methods come from that scene in GTA 5, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he might have played that a few too many times. Um, but... And you also have Ana de Armas as, uh, I believe her character's she's name. She's there. Is, yes, right. <laughs> uh, she kicks there are many the other movies where she's not just there. Right. But this is one where she's just there. Right. So I guess, you know, I do want to get to the action, but I'll save that for last. I feel like that's going to require the most of us talking. But these characters, I think in your review, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I believe you called Ryan Gosling's character quite boring or um, which, yeah. I, which i think is a great thing for you to say because i wasn't sure if that was just me reacting but let's no, get to the characters yeah, yeah he's kind of got a you know there are films where he's very subtle and underplaying and you know mm-hmm. he's kind of got a keanu reeves kevin costner harrison ford thing where he's not trying to be larger than the material mm-hmm. but a the material isn't that interesting here and there's no we are given very little reason in terms of personality to root for him other than he's you know, he's less likely to leave collateral damage than the people chasing him. Um, and, you know, we've certainly seen him come alive when he's allowed to. The Nice Guys is an mm-hmm. obvious example where he's just a hoot and a half in that one in a way that's still a thoughtful and nuanced character turn. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I, I think that's one of the issues, and this isn't just Netflix, but when you have a, a film that's trying to approximate you know, an old school movie, you end up with movie stars that are cast very specifically to type. Hmm. Um, so you have even Chris Evans to a certain extent who is absolutely doing a riff on the kind of characters he played before he became Captain America. Right. You know, he was basically, you know, asshole Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that's neither criticism nor insult, or neither compliment nor criticism. Um, and while I'm watching this, I'm thinking, yeah, some of his one-liners are kind of funny in a, you know, written for the meme kind of way. And yeah, it's fun watching him talk about how he could just kill anybody he wants and nobody cares. But I kept thinking The Losers was better, hmm. where he played a similar hot-wired, ill-tempered, you know, devil-may-care, you know, government, you know, hitman slash asset asset um and Anna de Armas's character is basically what if the, the woman from no time to die was boring as hell <laughs> and just wants to save her job right i think that's yeah kinda, um and with chris Evans, i think something that's interesting is i know people love i think any i think we've gotten so used to him being captain america where we do forget some things beforehand but we're just anything that's sem- somewhat different is just so jarring right for the general public because i see people you know praising this you know and it's not that it's a bad one, but I feel like all of his asshole characters kind of have the same thing where it's something witty, like you said, you might have a, a one liner here and there, then he'll have a little outburst, and then back calm again, you know, yes. you know? and I that's it's not that actors haven't done that before. It's not that he hasn't even done that before. But I feel like that's his one character trait in this movie besides his character being as stupid as possibly can be um, outside. of Maybe that's stu- I don't know if stupid is the right word. But like you're saying, you're, you're talking about the collateral damage, right? And I feel like so much of his character, it's built up in a way that's always oh, this, you, you would fear him, right? But then when you see the way he handles things, I don't know, we're gonna get more into the action in a second. But did you did you feel like that too, or was that just me overreacting to his character? <laughs> oh, you're not wrong. And again, this is I have seen this. You know, everyone in this film has been better in other stuff. So that's not, you know, whatever, including the writers and directors, frankly. Hmm. Um, but we'll get to that later. Um, and yeah, to be fair, most people did not know who Chris Evans was to a certain extent until Captain America became a big deal Marvel franchise. It's not like anyone went to Captain America and said, hey, it's that guy from Bush. <laughs> um, or, you know, that guy from the Losers and Sunrise and you know, maybe Fantastic Four. Yeah. But even there, he was, play, you know, he was playing Johnny Storm as, you know, a hot-headed chick magnet asshole. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, I think... I, I know he was always in the running, but I was a little surprised when he got cast as, as Steve Rogers. Hmm. I didn't have any objection to it, acting as acting. But because um, that, that wasn't against type term for him hmm. at that time. Hmm. Um, and even, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce this name and I apologize, yeah. uh, Reggie Jean Page, mm-hmm. the guy from Bridgerton, uh, who is perfectly fine in Bridgerton. Here, he basically is a paper pusher. Yeah. And I, 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 he's not bad. It just, there's no there there. It's, yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, Julia Butters, I would say, would have stolen the film if she were allowed to do anything other than, you know, get kidnapped and beg for mercy. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you know, again, you know, for if, you know, a film that wants to be a throwback, like, oh, that's right. Movies like this used to have, you know, female characters that had a gun held in their head the entire running time. I remember that. Um, and you know the only real sparks 
platonic, obviously, that Gosling has with anybody is with the flashback scenes with Julia Butters, mm-hmm. where it's a sort of, you know, vaguely parental, cool older brother, you know, kind of relationship that is by default one of the better scenes in the movie. Right. Um, and, um, okay, I'm rambling. I'll let you jump. Oh, in. that's that's okay. Well, I, I do want to kind of move over to the, to, to the Russo. So you said happened better to brothers that have done, you know, two Captain America movies, two Avengers films, they wrote Extraction, or one of them wrote Extraction, and they did Cherry, um, <laughs> which I know, and <laughs> it's a little bit of a rough patch. I'm not the biggest fan of these two, so I'll, I'll let you kind of take this, but I think there's a lot of things that, in this movie that bothered me, and a lot of it, I think, stems from them more than anything, um, but what did you think about the direction and the writing, you know, that all stems from them? Well, as far as the writing goes, I mean, my son admitted to me afterwards, he's 11 years old, that he was actually kind of confused for the first, almost the first hour of the movie. And I said, I don't blame you. I mean, it's one of those screenplays that tells a very simple story in as convoluted a way as possible to make it seem more complicated than it is. It reminded me of the Bourne legacy in that sense, oh, where, you, you know, by an hour in, you realize that all these little details that seem complicated, you don't actually have to pay attention to them at all. You know, at the end of the day, this movie is, and this is fine, you know, good spy for, you know, versus bad spy. Good spy's mentor and his niece are kidnapped. Good spy has to save the niece and the mentor and kill the bad spy. Everything else is is seasoning if or distraction. Um, and, but it, it takes a while to get to that point and maybe this is a budgetary issue, maybe this is a location issue, but, you know, Ryan Reynolds and, and Chris Evans don't have a lot of screen time together. Right. Even just talking on the phone and, you know, talking shit to each other. Um, okay. And, you know, it's, it's telling that the big action scene in the film, Gosling is handcuffed to a chair while Evans is watching it from an interior different location on a computer monitor. Right. You know, the, the film's biggest action scene, it's mostly red shirt bad guys massacring red shirt cops. Right. Well, I don't I can't speak on that action scene in terms of that. But I know I only know this because the Russo's what most annoys me about them. A little bit of background is that they compare everything to heat, you know, and I love that. I adore heat. You know, that's one that's my favorite movie. And I know they did that with the Winter Soldier. But then when I was looking that up for my review to, uh, to source it, um, Everything, if you look up Rooster Brothers Heat, they've talked about it with like Extraction, probably with Cherry. Um, I'm surprised everything after all at once that they produced didn't have any quote about it. Um, but I know that, you know, I don't, I almost remember, I had to look this up because I noticed, like you said, uh, Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans don't really speak really or really see each other until an hour in. And at first I thought, was this intentional or not? And apparently, supposedly, one of the Russo brothers claimed that this was mimicking the Heat thing where Pacino, De Niro, which is a much smarter movie. So if people are debating between those two, please watch Heat. Um, but uh, supposedly that was... takedown is better than this. Right? Well, so, you know, and apparently those two weren't supposed to meet on purpose. But it is glaring in that in the Prague, it's in Prague, right? That sequence. Yeah. And where, like you said, uh, I keep saying Ryan Reynolds, uh, Ryan Gosling is handcuffed to the, to the chair and... It is weird that I remember thinking that in the movies. I'm like, this is this looks really strange considering, you know, this is these are the two stars, right? These are the your Pacino and De Niro, not on their level, but um, you know, I'll let you take it from there. Sorry. 
Um, um, well, and, you know, I, I totally get that, that comparison and, you know, whatever, you can make a movie that you want to be in the spirit of heat and I'm not going to hold it against you if it's not as good, whatever. Den of Thieves is a perfectly fine three-star picture. Hmm. Um, I mean, hell, apples to oranges, I like The Dark Knight better than Heat. Heat is, you know, I like Heat, but it's not my favorite Michael Mann movie. Yeah. Um, but anyway, at least Heat had a scene in the second act where the two of them, you know, converse for a few minutes as did The Dark Knight for that matter, if you want to play that comparison. And I think this film really did need a scene where they, you know, shit talk with each other for a few minutes. It doesn't have to be in a coffee shop or an interrogation room. It could just be a phone call. Um, And we get the idea that these people kind of, these guys kind of know each other, but not really. And we're not really sure to what extent they're aware of each other's existence. And Mm. maybe that might've been me missing something here and there. That's fine. and as far as the action, I mean, the big brouhaha in the second act that we would keep talking about, it reminded me of the Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. But in a skewed way, considering what the Marvel discourse is right now, this movie makes Marvel look better, a lot better, to the extent that, that the Russos were able to come in and deliver these kind of real world grounded guns and ammo, fisticuffs, action scenes that were fantastic. Even though, even though, or because despite taking place in a superhero world, yet they come and try to give us the genuine article in this, and it's a mess, I would argue. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, let's, let's be honest here. Captain America, the Winter Soldier is the movie, is the, the reason, one big reason why Marvel's became as respected as it was. Because hmm. that was the first film where they were approximating a genre that was in a film that was better than the genuine article. Hmm. Captain America, the Winter Soldier was basically Tom Clancy in tights. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot better than Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. Right. And I think their two Avengers sequels, Winter Soldier and Civil War, basically defined the extent to which the MCU basically took over cinema, at least at a big budget level, by offering you know, basically an all-quadrant action fantasy spectacular with superheroes and colorful villains for the kids and espionage high-tech spy action for the grown-ups hmm. okay. and to a certain extent the extent to which marvel and dc have supplanted the tentpole environment by giving you superhero shtick and a given genre or in the case of aquaman all the genres um those two you know the russo's films especially winter soldier and then in terms of, of, of how the industry had evolved, evolved by even to 2016 with Civil War, it almost feels like a lot of the Russo's post-Marvel, excuse me, output or you know, mid-Marvel output has been sort of like contrition and atonement. Because they're they they are putting their money, either as producers or directors or both, in the kinds of films that you know Hollywood doesn't make anymore. You know, a, a $40 million movie like Cherry about a, a you know, a PTSD-stricken veteran that comes back home, gets addicted to drugs, and starts robbing banks. Um, it's not a great movie, but it feels like a real movie, hmm. in, including being more expensive than it probably needs to be and having production value, having a real cast. You know, it's, it's you, can't, you can't count how many locations there are on one hand. Um, extraction is, is one of the Netflix, one of the one of Netflix's best quote-unquote blockbusters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the action in that film is fantastic. Um, 
and they produced 21 Bridges with Chadwick Boseman. That was a theatrical. And that film was a solid, solid, solid cop drama. Hmm. And I think the difference is that, and maybe this is because The Gray Man is a $200 million movie that wants to be globally appealing and launch a franchise, is that it has really nothing on its mind. And it brings nothing new to the table. Now, Extraction, at the very least, kind of did the whole white guy shows up and, you know, kills a bunch of browner people, but also saves good brown people, blah, 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 blah. But at least in that film, he becomes the secondary lead in the film's climactic action sequence. You know, that character takes a step back and lets other characters take the lead. Um, and then 21 Bridges, that is a cop drama that absolutely exists with the knowledge of institutional distrust of police officers. And the notion of the, you know, the idea that police officers would be corrupt is basically taken for granted. This film brings nothing new to the table in that sense. You know, it is a film that's attempting to emulate 90s action spectaculars that feels like a bad 90s action spectacular. Right, right. And a little bit of Fast and Furious in there in the Prague sequence, right? I, a I, bit, I, yeah. I mean, it's shot by the guy, you know, it, does, something... you know, it looks nice. You know, the film looks very nice. Yes. It, this isn't a case of like Red Notice where I don't see the money on the screen. Right. You don't see as much money because the Netflix model, everybody gets paid up front. So there's less money for the actual nuts and bolts production. I mean, people are asking why Stranger Things cost $30 million an episode. I'm guessing it's because all those actors wanted money. Mm-hmm. And since that is a franchise that is absolutely rooted in marquee characters, they're worth every penny. Right, right. And I mean, you do have a similar case here with the actors, but something that bothered me, and maybe this is just, I, I will say that I had to, I was in Baltimore to see some family this weekend. The screening was on Monday. So I drove from Baltimore to Philly, uh, which is not super long, but I was exhausted. So maybe this is just my tired, fatigued mind remembering this. But when I saw the film, I in all the action sequences, any sort of sudden movement and like fast movement, it just looked like it was motion smooth, like, like a 4k tv at, at uh, best buy and, and i know films are shot on 4k lenses all the time but for me i don't usually notice that in a movie theater setting i don't know is that something that was just me or maybe because i noticed it in the first fight when Anna de armas is fighting somebody and then it continued for the rest of the movie and it just it drove me insane every time i saw it i don't know if that bothered you at all i noticed a little bit of that here and there okay. um and yeah sometimes i'll notice you know in any number of movies up oh, this was shot on video like I remember there's this one brief moment only because it was in the trailer for Avengers Age of Ultron which was you know obviously a very expensive movie that was intended to look very nice in theaters and there's a shot where like Thor just lunges it kind of sort of at the camera but not really Hmm. and that one shot looks like a direct to DVD Lionsgate horror movie and then that always takes yeah it always threatens to take me out of a movie where I can tell oh okay this is shot on video and you know it's 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 I get what Michael Mann was was doing with uh, you know Public Enemies in 2009, but it's like you know you're watching this hundred million dollar period piece crime drama that looks like what I associate with a direct to DVD knockoff. Mm. Um, and I, I think that worked better for like Miami Vice and Black Hat, and obviously Michael Mann can do whatever the hell he wants. Um, it's not my money. Um, but I, I did, yes, I did notice some of that. I did notice that the camera was moving with every moment it got. And whether or not that was just 
because they wanted to to make it seem more more urgent and and increase the momentum or that they were trying to cover up for for lags in production value right well it reminded me of ambulance a lot where i know that also felt like michael bay had just discovered the drone shot um but in this case it felt like a you know i, I kind of see what you're saying it felt like to me at least they're trying to wake you up with <laughs> any chance they could oh. with those drone shots and i think i know it just riffed on michael bay but at least with an ambulance there was creativity in those yes you know? it wasn't just egregious you know every five minutes there was a drone shot or a transition with a drone shot at least in ambulance you had the one going through the bullet hole or you had uh, I love the ones where he uh, it's going through a parking garage and you're going through all the pillars and stuff. Here, it just felt like anytime they needed transition, it was just like that was their default, you know. Um, and something else you had mentioned there was, um, you know, I know we've talked a lot about the big action sequences, but I'm I love you know hand to hand combat, you know, like John Wick or uh, Bruce Lee movies. And here, I thought it was cool when it was choreographed. I, mean, I know I just riffed on the the motion smoothing a little bit. Um, but there was only one sequence that really, maybe two, I guess I'll give them two that I really will remember kind of. And the first was the hospital sequence. And that was just because I thought it was cool seeing them be resourceful, right? That's kind of like a John Wick movie where I think they use the, uh, uh the thing they shock you with, right? And, you know, they're yes. whipping that around. And I think Anadarmus at the end is another fight where they're using, uh, a wire from, I don't even remember what it was at this point. I know it's, <laughs> it's only been three no, days. I, since I, I do it. remember it was, it was, that was with her and, and Danush. Yes, I believe so. Yes. And even the last Chris Evans, uh, Ryan Gosling fight, you know, for as brief as it, it's an actual fist fight, I kind of appreciated. But um, are you more are you more into that or are you more into the because, you know, I don't know. I'm just that's my preference. Um, I mean, for me, action is action is action. You know, it's, <laughs> there are good guard chases, there are bad guard chases and so forth. Uh, I think one huge difference between something like Ambulance and something like this is that a Michael Bay say what you will of whether you like his movies or not, but he knows what the hell he's doing. And he's been doing this for a very long time. And he's not going to use technology like that unless it gives him a chance to tell the story in a way that makes sense for the story and show us stuff that we've never seen before. And that's what I did find very thrilling about Ambulance, which is one of his best movies, period, I would argue. Um, in that he used the drone technology to approximate us being right alongside you know, underneath, you know, et cetera, et cetera, the ambulance um, in a way that I thought was cinematically thrilling. You know, it's, 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 you know, um, this I felt was just using that stuff just because, you know, it's, it's, it, it approximates razzle dazzle. Um, and again, I'm glad the camera was moving. I'm glad, you know, I enjoyed some of that stuff just on a visceral level because, you know, I, I, I think too many movies, even ones that are, you know, relatively expensive are, sometimes the camera feels too stationary. Um, and, you know, without getting into the discourse, because there's a lot to like about them, that's one of my big problems with the Star Wars prequels, which is that George Lucas is not a very, you know, make the camera move kind of filmmaker. Um. That's why the one shot where you know Yoda gets bolted by the Emperor in Revenge of the Sith, where the camera just you know hardcore zooms right up to him, is always shocking because there's really nothing like that in the rest of those three films. Um, and at least in the opening scenes of the Force Awakens, it was kind of a jolt to see a Star Wars movie where the camera moved and it was it was you know getting here, there, and everywhere and putting you in different POVs and what have you. And that was obviously J.J. Abrams attempting to reacclimate Star Wars to a more modern filmmaking sensibility. And whatever my issues with that film as a film, I think he pulls that off. 
Um, and, and I, wow, I just lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, it's all good. I can, I can save you a little bit. Let me just ask you before, because if we have to, you know, we can reconvene tomorrow if we have to, but is there anything major that, uh, that I skim, I skimmed over anything that you want to talk about with this film? Before? The film runs a perfectly reasonable two hours and change. Okay. And I appreciate that without going into spoilers, it is a complete movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, they would like to make a sequel. Yes, there are other books, but the movie doesn't end with a giant to be continued. Mm-hmm. You know, a conflict, some conflicts are resolved. Some status quos are changed. You know, if there is a sequel, it's going to, you know, have the, some of the characters in different places than they were at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. which feels like a silly thing to be grateful for, but that's where we are right now. Um, it does not feel like future. It does not remotely feel like a feature-length prologue for the sequel that may never come, mm-hmm. which is something that a lot of franchise films have been doing over the last decade. Uh, sometimes Netflix, like uh, the the Old Guard, mm-hmm. although Project Power was surprisingly standalone, you know, mm-hmm. beginning mental and end picture, which one of the reasons I enjoyed it because mm-hmm. uh, you know it was one of those superhero but not really movies. I was sure it'd be a giant prologue, but it wasn't. Um, Red Notice is an, you know, obviously I keep, you know, <laughs> that one is a giant feature length setup for, you know, the movie we'd actually want to see next time. Right. Um, and I guess when you're Netflix, you can kind of get away with it because you're probably going to make a sequel for a film like that because enough people will watch it in the first month just by default. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I'm always a cranky pants about Netflix in a way that may seem unfair or untoward is that I think to a certain extent, the company and I say that in a very generic sense, the company banks on consumers choosing less quality, settling for less quality for increased convenience Mm -hmm. and consuming films that kind of sort of remind them of other better Hollywood films that can be viewed passively while they're playing on their phones. Right. And that is why I get cranky when Netflix spends $200 million on a movie like The Gray Man that isn't half as thrilling as Michael Bay's $40 million ambulance. All right. Well, I think that just about wraps up our review of The Gray Man. But Scott, you know, can you just tell me a little bit about what you've got coming up next, what movies you're covering and whatnot? Yes. um, Obviously, a lot of what I cover is just sort of whatever news drops or if there's an anniversary coming up or there's a milestone coming up. I mean, Obviously, Top Gun seems to be passing milestones every day, which, you know, the kind of you know daily coverage I haven't done since probably Wonder Woman by default. Um, obviously, we're expecting interesting stuff out of Comic-Con. Uh, I'm expecting, just because we haven't gotten it yet, I'm expecting a teaser for Black Panther Wakanda forever. Um, if for no other reason than between Thor and Black Adam, there's no other movies of that nature that would be appropriate to debut a trailer for Black Panther, unless they want to be cheeky and drop it with Nope or, you know, the R-rated bullet train. Um, I don't think they're going to debut it. Don't worry, darling, but I could be wrong. Um, And I'm expecting a big announcement from Marvel about what the big plans are going forward. I mean, I'm not one of those people that particularly cares that they haven't announced what their big picture plans are, because you got to remember, you know, the big phase three announcement where you had all the pictures and the auditorium, you know, for the next five years of movies, that was October, 2014. So they had been doing this for six years beforehand, where it was just, we are making movies. We hope you like them. And that's basically what phase four is right now. They are, you know, like a lot of TV shows that, you know, 
end their first arc in season three, they're kind of setting the tables and finding their way and sort of restarting again in season four. And I don't think anyone's favorite season of Buffy is season four. So it's it's the fact that they're not exactly putting their best foot forward, Shang-Chi aside, is not necessarily a surprise. Um, you know, they should be you know thinking, you know, they're lucky stars that Shang-Chi turned out as good as it did. Otherwise, you really would be having, oh God, Marvel's doomed conversations. Because Black Widow was mediocre, Eternals was terrible, Thor was meh. And I like Doctor Strange, but you know, it's 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 not as universally beloved as something like uh you know, Captain America Civil War, I guess. Um, anyway, I don't want to get too much on speculative Marvel stuff, but I'm guessing we will get a firmer look at what the big picture is, whether it's, you know, all of these young protagonists that are being introduced in movies and TV shows are going to team up for the young Avengers versus with Secret Wars where they all turned out to be aliens or something. I, I'll have to look that up. Um <laughs> If you don't know, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's you know, young Avengers versus the secret war, secret invasion alien versions of the Avengers, which ironically is basically the first season finale of Young Justice. <laughs> but um that's a conversation for another day. Um but yeah, whatever I do end up covering, it'll be on Forbes.com per usual. Um let's see. As far as other Comic Con stuff, I'm expecting to see some you know, new footage or just the same footage we saw at CinemaCon of Shazam, Fury of the Gods, Black Adam and Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom, and The Flash, which may or may not be retitled, Batman Returns with The Flash. That's a joke for the record. I'm not, you know, actually spoiling anything. Um, although, I, who knows? I mean, maybe, you know, without getting into the discourse, maybe Ezra Miller will end up in, you know, by the time next June rolls around, Ezra Miller will be, have been in rehab for six months. He'll be sober and doing better and healthy and happy. And if that's the case, then it's a huge part of the publicity tour. That'll be a sort of its rehabilitation. You know, yippee skippy. It's, uh, you know, you know, faith in humanity restored. Ezra Miller is happy again. Or, um, but whatever, that's, that's, and that, you know, if, in my opinion, that's why Warner Brothers hasn't taken any drastic action yet. You know, you don't. You know, they're not going to reshoot the whole movie. That would be that would be spending another two hundred million dollars for a movie that is, you know, is not remotely guaranteed to do any better than I don't know. Pick a pick a comic book movie that did six to seven hundred million. Doctor Strange, The Batman, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, Man of Steel. Um, but, you know, it's the same thing that happened with Justice League and Solo. They basically reshot the entire movie for a maybe 10, 20 percent more commercial product. And then it opened and did basically what it would have done anyway. But the increased budget made it an absolute disaster. Um, you know, Justice League making 659 on a 2, 225 budget would have been disappointing, but it would have been profitable. Justice League making 659 on a 300 million budget was, was a disaster. Um, but anyway, I'm going way off topic here. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So basically, I'm I'm just like everyone else. I'm sort of standing by the phone, waiting to see if Hollywood starts actually putting movies in theaters on a regular basis, because we're about to enter another self-imposed slump, mm -hmm. as seems to be the case, at least since you know Godzilla v Kong, where the problem was always, you know, movies aren't 
all due respect to certain, you know, COVID variables, you know, the movies weren't coming out on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You know, you had Godzilla v. Kong in April, and then you had almost nothing until A Quiet Place 2 in May. And then you had a pretty normal summer. I, th- I think a lot of the films that were released last summer were either cheap horror films or films that weren't expected to do all that well in the first place, all due respect. You know, I, there's a reason they held Top Gun for summer 2022, but released Snake Eyes in you know, July of 2021, you know, there's a reason they put Black Widow in theaters in July, but held, you know, Doctor Strange and Thor Love and Thunder until 2022. Mm -hmm. Um, But even then, I mean, you know, September, you had Shang-Chi holding up the fort all by itself. And then you had a pretty, you know, busy uh, October, November, December, and then almost nothing until the Batman in March of 2022. And then the Batman opens and there's almost nothing in March until the Lost City. You had a busy April and then you have almost nothing in May. You know, Top Gun was a miracle. That was not supposed to be a Marvel size hit. It probably wouldn't have been had it opened under normal circumstances in June of 2020, but I digress. Um, and, you know, because of Top Gun, May and June were healthy. July, you've got Thor, Minions, Nope. Um, Hopefully, where the crawdads sing performs pretty well by rational standards, um, and then almost nothing in August and September. Right. And you you can't keep having these hot you know these these you know highs and lows like this. Theaters can't subs- you know exist on you know one tentpole a month or maybe you know two or three or four tentpoles in a two month period and then nothing. Right. Um, theaters are back. Moviegoers are back. They just need the consistent product. And if they don't get the consistent product, then theaters are going to suffer and possibly close despite that. Yeah. And, you know, studios can say all they want about, oh, streaming is the future, streaming is the future. You're not going to get your $100 million openings or Jurassic World if you have a third less theaters than you did in 2019. You know, the math just doesn't work like that. Anyway. Yeah. And, and I know you mentioned that, you know, all your stuff's going to be on Forbes. And where can people find you on Twitter? Is it just your name? Yeah, at Scott Mendelson at Twitter. Uh, I, I do have a Facebook page, but it's mostly for cat photos and, and relatively non-confrontational commentary. Um, Twitter's where I'm an asshole. Yes. <laughs> well, I do love always oh. seeing you get into a little bits of discourse here and there. <laughs> That's what I explain to my children. It's like, I get canceled once a month. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, Scott, thank you so much for all of your time, you know, coming back. And I will have to- It's an absolute you- pleasure. I'll have to have you back on talk more about the box office. I know this is a streaming movie, right? I mean, since oh, theaters, yeah. but you know, but uh, uh, oh, it will be in theaters if you feel like spending the money and like, I think 450 theaters nationwide okay. uh, for a week before it goes to Netflix, mostly Cinemark theaters. Right. And look, if you genuinely want to see the gray man, yes, I think it plays better in theaters than it probably would on your laptop, but whatever. Yeah. Well, thank you, Scott, again. And we'll have to have you back on. Have a great rest of your day. Absolutely. Take care.